Have you ever felt like there isn't enough time in the day or like you don't have time to take care of your well-being and build your dream? Or maybe you felt like it's impossible for you to go to work and still build that business that you envision at the same time. Well, so have we. And this is why we decided to make this podcast. This podcast is not just for PTs, OTs, MDs, or RNs. It's for everyone in healthcare. Our mission is to inspire you to make healthcare a better place and to build your business or brand through stories and real-life examples of some of the top leaders and entrepreneurs in healthcare. There's no better time than now. Welcome to Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, guys, I'm your co-host, Mr. Carl Bourne Jr., and I'm joined by my main man, Mr. Paul Ching. Paul, say what's up to the people. Hello, everybody. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys are staying safe. It is good to have you back for another episode. So, as always, we have a special guest for you guys again this week. And without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce Dr. F. Scott. Dr. F. Scott, how are you? Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you, fellas, for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. This is uh, an absolute pleasure on my behalf because uh, I've been listening to your guys' podcast for a little while now and uh, been liking what I, I hear. So I'm just happy to be a part of it. Oh, man, you're, you're too kind. We appreciate that. <laughs> let's hop right into it. We like to be respectful of your time. So let's, let's just let's get after it. So to start off, we always like to ask why physical therapy. What made you pursue that route? I wish I could tell you it was short and sweet, you know, but my journey to becoming a physical therapist was a pretty wild and crazy one. I was an English major back in the undergrad. So, uh, you know, my dad named me after F. Scott Fitzgerald, hence the uh, F. Uh, He was an English teacher on Long Island for many, many years. And it's cool until you turn 16 and then everything's first name, middle initial and all your documents and legal stuff gets screwed up. And, you know, you, you have to bring several forms of ID everywhere you go because you just know it's going to get screwed up in one way or another. But yeah, I was just always really good at reading and writing. My dad started me and my brother off at a very early age. My mom was really big into reading and she was uh, an English major as well. So we just had a strong English background and I placed out of my freshman English classes, uh, the first two of them due to my AP grades in, in high school. So I was like, well on my way to becoming a, an English major and finishing my classes at a pretty early point in, in my career. So second semester senior year, I had all the time in the world. I think I took golf, bowling, and intro to Japan. I twiddled my thumbs a lot. So I had to figure out something. I knew I, I couldn't help enough people with being an English major. I didn't want to write, didn't want to edit, I didn't want to teach. So I had to figure out something to do. And so I volunteered at the local hospital. They put me in the PT department. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like I was filing away files and stuff and watching them like bat balloons around with patients and, you know, play with the pool tubes and, you know, get on the balance boards. And I thought, this is cool. You know, I could do this. And then I looked at the prereqs and I was like, nope, nope, don't have that one. Nope, don't have that one either. So I graduated in four years with a BA in English and then had to take a whole nother year of math and science courses at uh, UNCG. So after I finally got into physical therapy, It was a weird kind of transition phase and and period of time because it was a master's program at ECU when I was there, but they offered a third-year transitional doctorate. So 
I kind of thought, all right, that's the way the, the profession is heading. I should probably stick around and do it, you know? So I started it there, but it was at that time that my, my dad started having some health problems. You know, he got sick and, and ended up passing away. And, uh, I wasn't able to finish the DPT at ECU in, in the allotted time and the, the window of opportunity kind of closed there. So while I was trying to take my board exam, I had to wait. I failed it three times. So I had to wait a full year in order to take it again. And while I was waiting, I was working as a PT tech at the hospital where my dad passed away. And every morning I had to walk into the hospital and clock in and clock out and walk past the room where he passed. And that was super tough on me kind of made me think twice about even going through with physical therapy and seeing if I should just, you know, quit and go another route at that point. But, uh, you know, I kind of figured I, I, my dad would want to see me finish it through. And, you know, I did eventually pass my board exam and start working as a physical therapist. I was also able to get in touch with St. Augustine and they accepted me into their transitional doctor program and they took a bunch of the uh, ECU credits for transfer. So that worked out pretty well. I was able to complete the uh, TDPT. And while I was there, I also ended up starting the educational doctorate. Uh, the head of the program came up to me and said, hey, did you ever think about teaching? And I said, no, I'm not really interested. You know, my dad was an English teacher. I sat on a, in on his classes a couple of times and those kids were dicks. So I don't want any part of that, you know? And he was like, well, grad school is a little different. You know, those people are paying a lot of good money to be there and they, they really want to, you know, learn. So you should consider it, you know? So I, I thought about it. And my main concern was if my hands gave out or my back gave out or my knees gave out and I couldn't do physical therapy anymore, I could always fall back on teaching. So I felt like it was a pretty good fallback plan. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into physical therapy and then on to education as well. Wow. So that was a roller coaster of, of events that led you here, you know, but I'm a firm believer you always end up exactly where you need to be. That's definitely evident, you know, from your journey and everything that you've been involved in. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, once you finished getting your doctorate, you're in physical therapy and you're, you're working a little bit. When was that transition where you felt like maybe I should start bridging on to to do my own thing? And how did that kind of come into play? Yeah, for me, it took a little while. I don't know why, but the first five years of my career, I pretty much just punched a clock. You know, I went in, I, I did my job. I was pretty decent at it. I uh, moved up to a clinic manager in one year at a hospital-based outpatient. And then I ended up uh, moving to a, a different clinic to manage that one. And I didn't, I didn't really excel at anything. I didn't, I didn't seek out more like CEUs and I just kind of did the bare minimum. I literally went in, worked, did my job, clocked in, clocked out and went home. You know, that was it. And it was somewhere around the five or six year mark where I realized like, this isn't going to cut it. You know, this just, there's got to be more out there than this. And I, I just started kind of feeling like, Physical therapy is a great career. It's a great profession, but there's got to be more, more ways that we can help people and, and a bigger reach that we can have. That's when I started kind of looking into other alternatives to not just treating people, but, you know, working on possibly owning my own clinic uh, or, you know, just other ways to expand my reach. And I really tried to start taking my educational doctorate and putting it to use, even if it wasn't in the four walls of academia. You know, I wanted to try to start finding ways to utilize my knowledge to help others, even if it was, you know, just general public, kind of educate them as to injuries and, and healing and health and wellness. So uh, that's when I started creating some online courses. 
first on, online course I ever created was fantasy football injury review course. And that basically took a look at every injury that could happen during the fantasy football year and broke them down into how they happened, what they looked like, and what the return to play was going to look like so that you could kind of figure out your roster for the next couple of weeks following an injury. After that, I started getting into uh, esports a little bit, and I created a, an ebook on how to treat your own esports injuries. So basically prevention, wellness, and training course for video gamers and, and people who were at risk for carpal tunnel or you know overuse injuries, shoulder injuries, elbow injuries, postural injuries, and just kind of tried to get into the esports world a little bit and help those people out, you know, and through things like courses and ebooks, I was able to have a much greater reach than just going into work and treating the eight or nine or 10 patients or 20 or 30, if it may be, uh, in some clinics, you know, that, that I was treating every day. That's where it all kind of started as far as, you know, my entrepreneurial journey. And, and really, I talk about this a little bit in, the, in my book, but like, I didn't realize it. But when I was very young, my brother and I, our parents had a house on, on a golf course in the Outer Banks. And every night we would go out on the 10th tee, the 10th hole, and we'd walk the course and we'd find golf balls like in the woods and like in the water and stuff. We bring them home, we'd clean them up, you know, we'd try to keep a couple of the best ones for ourselves. Then the next day we'd go out to the 10th tee and we'd sell them to all the golfers coming through, you know? And I think that was my first real foray into entrepreneurship. And I think I probably got it from watching my dad, right? He was an English major or an English teacher, but he also had a side business in the, in the summers where he did landscaping and his partner did it full time. And he eventually sold the business to his partner. But, you know, just watching him and we worked, my brother and I worked for him too, many, many weekends, you know, and just seeing that and, and learning, you know, what it looked like to run a business. I think that's where I kind of got started. And then for whatever reason, the, the fire and the flame just died out. It was probably grad school, if I had to guess, you know, and then four or five years into my career, I just realized I had to start picking it up again and finding new, new ways to reach people and, and expand my, my reach. So you know, I jumped into the online education business a little bit and uh, took off from there. I think like for a lot of people, as they either become entrepreneurs or they really start getting into business, I think for most people, they see that something is missing in the world. Something's missing in the industry. And so like kind of hearing, I love that I'm hearing like, you know, at a young age, you're like, okay, you know, I'm get the golf balls, I'm get those out and all the different things you did. And then like when the fire burnt out and then was reignited, for you, what was it that you saw that was missing? Because, you know, obviously as PTs, I feel like there's almost like an allotted lifespan when it comes to actually like physically practicing. You know, at some point, if you're doing it day in, day out, your hands will give out, your back will give out, you'll get tired. So what was it for you that you saw that was missing that like was that spark? I think it was really one of my second or third bouts with burnout. You know, like I said, I was seeing eight or nine patients a day, which was pretty good for an outpatient clinic, you know, one-on-one -on -one pretty much for the hour, 45 minutes maybe. And, you know, you just do that over and over and over again. And, you know, eventually you just kind of get bored with it. All right, well, this is not everything I thought it would be, you know. And then, like I said, I've worked in other clinics where I was seeing 20 or 30 patients a day. And it was like, that wasn't good either, you know, <laughs> like that was just too much. You know, the documentation got to be too much. And it's like, am I really even giving skilled therapy here if I'm whipping through these patients 15 minutes at a pop? So that got pretty old pretty quick. And I think it was just a culmination of things. I think you get to a point where you start to look at it and you say, I'm making X amount of dollars per year, you know, and if you break that down into what it is per hour, you're getting paid X amount of dollars per hour. But the the clinic, the business itself is making two, three, four times that per hour. 
off of you based on reimbursement. Now that's what it was. Reimbursement rates now, you see the they're going down, down, down. So, you know, it's it's the margins are getting smaller. But either way, you know, I just started realizing like, all right, the owners of the clinics are getting rich off of what I'm doing. Why couldn't I just do it myself? Or maybe there's a clinic or a scenario or a situation out there where I'm going to get fairly compensated because I know the metrics and I know how businesses work. If I educate myself more to the business side of things, which we don't get taught in physical therapy school, you know, it's just not something that people talk about. It's not on the NPTE. So there's just not time to incorporate it that much into, you know, the curriculum. So I get that. But, you know, when you really start to learn about business and how the business models work, you can not only see what your value is and what you're worth, but then you have a little bit stronger hand in negotiating and saying, okay, well, if I bring in X amount of dollars for the clinic, I want to be compensated at X amount of dollars, you know, and that's fair to both, both sides. It became a matter of just learning on my own a little bit, but learning for the sake of knowing what a business looks like, what it takes to run a business. You know, even if I didn't open my own, I, I wanted to know the ins and outs so that when it came time to talk salary and negotiation, you know, I, I, I could have an even playing field and know what I was talking about. I want to hit on that a little bit more because I think it actually saddens me. I almost wonder like what the profession would look like if they required a business portion on the NPTE. I almost wondered how things would grow. Right. So just kind of like hitting on that when it comes to valuing yourself more and making yourself stand out more to the point where you can be able to debate, you know, is it established like, hey, this is what I'm worth because this is exactly what I'm doing. How would you suggest um, a listener, a PT student, future aspiring entrepreneur, you know, in any aspect, go about kind of determining their value, what they're worth, and then how that worth should be compensated? Yeah, I tell you, it takes a lot of research. But the first step for me would be trying to find out who the big players were, right? Who the payers were in the state where you were located or wanted to practice, you know, and try to get as much information as you could. I think Medicare, Medicaid are a good place to start. You can see what the reimbursement levels are for that in your state for your, you know, services. But then beyond that, it gets a little trickier, right? You have to start looking into private insurances, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Humana, Cigna, Aetna, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you've just got to kind of almost play dumb a little bit, you know, and call up as if you were patient because everybody's got a different coverage. And a lot of times those big companies contract at a certain rate for a, a physical therapy business. And so it's hard to get answers sometimes, but you just got to do the best you can to try to, you know, figure out what the reimbursement rate is for your state. Beyond that, the next big step is just utilize your network. Talk to other physical therapists in the state. See which insurances are good and which which insurances are bad, right? See which ones are worth being in network with versus not. I mean, there's certain insurances in the Northwest that reimburse really well, like over $100 per, per visit. And yet their same insurance company in the Northeast is paying a third of that, 40, 50, 60 bucks a visit. So you know, it varies pretty drastically, but at some point you've got to just pick a point on the map and say, this is where I'm going to be. This is where I want to work. This is where I want to settle down. Let's start there. And let's just find out all the information we can about that. Like I said, one of your biggest tools is probably your network. Who else do you know in that area that's, that's currently running a PT business or, you know, whatever business you want to open, who's been taking insurance in that area for a while. 
and then just create a list of insurances that uh, that cover that area. Start cold calling them and asking. Get as much information as you can about reimbursement rates. So I love that we're talking about this because you said something that's so true earlier when you mentioned the fact that we don't talk about these things in school because we don't. You know, I'm I'm entering into my second year right now and just thinking of everything that we've learned so far, like nothing revolves around the debt, you know, or, or, or the marketing or anything like that. It's just strictly teaching us how to treat patients, you know, and, and, and things of that sort. And I find myself being conflicted sometimes because it's like, yes, I understand, like, we need to know how to treat patients. I understand we need to know our anatomy. Like, I get it. But it's, it's just, it always baffles me as to how there's nothing or there hasn't been, like, a unified decision, you know, to implement something in the curriculum that teaches students about business, you know, or, or the marketing aspect of it. And so my question to you is, what would be the advice that you give to students who are currently in school now and they don't really know what they should do in terms of trying to pay their loans back, you know, efficiently, trying to pay them off as fast as they can? What would be your advice to them and what would be your advice to the students who move along like, I'll worry about that when, when I'm out of school? Yeah, that's a tough one because everybody's situation is going to be drastically different, right? I mean, let's let's take a step back here. There's not a whole lot of marketing and business in PT school, which is a shame, right? Because chiropractors get plenty of marketing and business schooling in their courses, right? Massage therapists, same thing. They get some coaching on business, you know, and marketing. So doctors, maybe a little bit. PTs, hardly, hardly any. And it's not the, the fault of the PT schools, right? Because, I mean, they've got an obligation to get everybody past the NPTE board exam, and then they can pursue whatever schooling and, and education they want after that. So, I, you know, I get it. To me, if it's really that important, you need to find ways to incorporate it into your curriculum even if it's just, you know, while you're talking about the difference between an inpatient versus, you know, an acute care versus an outpatient versus a skilled nursing versus home health or, you know, whatever, you can find ways to kind of work and weave in some of that information. Now, when it comes to the student loan portion of things, I, <laughs> I, was, I was dumb about it. If I had to do it all over again, I would have went to community college for two years. I would have went to a state school for two years and finished out a BA and whatever. It doesn't matter what you know, just get good grades and finish up your sciences. That's what I learned on that, right? I was an English major. So let's not, let's not dance around in the fact that you can get in being whatever you want to be. Believe me, that, that doesn't matter. Just get good grades in your sciences and math and you'll be fine. Then after I went to a state school for two years and got my BA, I probably would have looked into a state school again for my DPT. But I was from New York and it was cold up there, man. The winters were brutal. So I was just trying to get out of New York as quick as I could. So I went down to a private school at Wake Forest, you know, and then I went to a state school in North Carolina because I was a North Carolina resident by then for PT school. And then I went to a private school again to finish out the DPT and the EDD. So I graduated with $140,000 worth of student loan debt and two doctoral degrees that I don't really want to use traditionally on either one of them. So, so now what, right? 
Well, that's where we kind of got going with the healthcare education transformation podcast, right? We started trying to figure out, all right, we know that education, especially in healthcare, is a broken system. How do we fix it, right? And me and my co-host, Brandon Pone, who started the podcast, we were rookies at academia. We obviously had no idea. Each of us had about a semester of teaching under our belt at that point. So we knew we weren't the ones to answer the question, but we figured let's get the experts on and let's hear from them what they think is broken and how they would fix it. And the number one answer that we give this question at the end to everybody, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? The number one most common answer was cost, the price. So that got me thinking then, all right, if I'm truly going to give back to the profession and figure out a way to help with the number one problem that we're hearing about in academia... I need to write a book and show people all the side hustles and side gigs and things that I've been doing slightly outside of the box of physical therapy and healthcare, but still somewhat related that are bringing in extra streams of revenue in order to help pay down those student loans quicker. So I'd been working on that for about three years or so. I had created a list of 100 side gigs that can be found at PT Educator backslash 100, right? And that's just PT Educator's Revenue Idea Generator. And that's all it is. It's a list of 100 side gigs that healthcare practitioners can do. And of those 100, I've tried 25 personally. Of the 25, I've narrowed it down to eight that I feel are not only worthwhile, but are pretty lucrative and can be done with the skill sets that we already have as you know, doctors or you know, as clinicians or as professors. So the book kind of goes over those eight streams of revenue that I feel that we can really, you know, excel in and really, you know, be profitable on. And then of the other 25, 30 or or so that, or I should say 75, really 75 or so that I didn't include in the book, 85 even, I, I started a vlogcast called the Professors of Profit Vlogcast. And that can be found on, on the PT Educator YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com backslash PT Educator. And every week we knock, knock, knock down one of the hundred side gigs and side hustles. And we find someone out in the field there who's doing that side gig and side hustle and crushing it, you know? So it's just really there to show you that it can be done. And here's some people that are doing it. And realistically, I'm not a student loan expert. I'm not. I have no idea about how they work for the most part. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I do take responsibility for the fact that it's 140000 and I'd like to pay it off as quick as possible. One of the things that I do and I recommend that people do if they haven't already is get in touch with Joe Ranke at Fitbucks. Fitbucks is kind of a student loan breakdown. It kind of goes over your personal situation and what kind of loans you have, how much, what the rates are, and it kind of shows you how you should go about repaying them. So for me, I went the income-driven repayment plan, which that brought my student loan payments from $1,700 a month down to $700 a month, but then it stretched it out over 25 years. So now my goal is to pay them off in big chunks using multiple streams of revenue and knocking them down in three to five years instead of 25. Should be less interest. You know, the $700 a month is manageable. So everything beyond that, I just put toward the loans, big chunks, big chunks. If I get a consulting gig for $3,000, I take 2,500 of that or so and put it toward the student loans. If I, you know, have a master class that comes out, right? If I take a big chunk of that, I put it toward the student loans and I'm going to keep doing that for the next three or four years until it's paid off. So I had some pretty lofty goals. I don't know that I'm going to hit it this year just because the coronavirus came in. But uh, again, we're still profitable. We're still moving forward. We're not letting that stop us. It just alters the goals a little bit. 
let's shake the table a little bit. All right, let's shake the table a little bit. Let's let's make somebody mad. So I'm going to ask you two questions. The first is, as an aspiring entrepreneur, right, that's listening to the podcast. So something that I think they're probably starting to wonder now is like, what would you suggest? Like, there are things they need to start looking out for as an entrepreneur with the skills that they have. That's the first question. I think the first thing they need to look for is trends, right? Look at trends that are happening in healthcare, right? Look at trends that are happening in the world of business and look for solutions that you can give to a, to a question or a problem. If you look at point A, which is just your skill set and your knowledge base and everything that you know and love and, and hobbies that you perform and all these things that you do, Cop, you know, kind of couple that together with your medical background and then try to get it to point B, which is answering somebody's question or solving a problem or presenting a solution to an issue in the medical world, in, in the, you know, in the field, in the general public, if you can connect A to B, that can become a profitable business. So, I mean, it really just comes down to taking what you already know and love and your background and your history and connecting it to point B, which is, you know, solving a problem or finding a way to answer somebody's question or, you know, presenting a solution. So if you can do that, you know, when you go to serve people with those solutions and those answers to those questions, you'll end up with a profitable business. Question number two um, comes across as... And I think I heard it said that, you know, in, in the moment that you want something, responsibility always comes with every upgrade, right? So I think as entrepreneurs, as we continue to advance and we, and I think especially as entrepreneurs, right? Many of us come into it thinking, holy crap, you know, the thing, I want to make a million dollars, right? So let's just say like, that's what a lot of people are coming in thinking, you know, I want to make a million um, and I want to do it by this time. And I want to have these goals and I want to have this lifestyle. I want to pay off my debt and I want this, this, and this, right? So with each upgrade comes responsibility and that responsibility can sometimes be a burden. So in the example I can give would be if you, I was going to quote Biggie Smalls, but let me just say, um, say for example, like you get a brand new car, that brand new car is going to come with the responsibilities of maybe a higher insurance. Maybe it's going to come with a higher car note. Maybe it's going to come with, you know, more problems because people maybe want to, if you get a Ferrari, people want to take pictures constantly. You can't move in peace. So as an entrepreneur, every time we, we upgrade and we and reach a new milestone, right? What would you suggest that one does to kind of minimize I see this continuing trend where I think a lot of people like will succeed. And then with the increase in income, they also increase spending, right? Which then increases the level of problems that they continue to have. So how can an entrepreneur minimize that kind of like problem that they have? Yeah, that's a great question, right? Uh, And again, being from New York, I appreciate the biggie small shout out, right? More money, more problems for sure. But, but it's true, right? The, if you have a business that's making, I don't know, five figures, right? Ten to twenty thousand dollars, you're gonna have ten to twenty thousand dollar money problems. If you have a business that's making six figures, well, you're gonna have six figure money problems. If you have a business that's making eight, ten figures, you're gonna have eight, ten figure money problems. I mean, that's just what's gonna happen. Every new plateau you get to, it's gonna be bigger, bigger problems, you know? And I think the best way to minimize that is to not so much set goals and focus on the money and the amounts and the dates, because those are all just arbitrary. You know, they're numbers that you 
put on yourself and timelines and that you put on yourself. And if you come at it in a different direction and you come at it with a servant's heart and say, I really truly want to help this population with this issue. And here's my business model to do that. That's probably the better way to go about trying to grow and scale and deal with the problems as they come, as opposed to like, Oh, I have to hit a million dollars by this date. So I got to do this, this, and this in order to try to bump my revenue up. So I get to those numbers. I just feel like if you're, you're in it for the right reason, the money will come. It's almost like a secondary gain. You know, if you're truly wanting to get out there and help people and and make an impact and, and create a difference in people's lives, the money will kind of come, you know, it's just a byproduct of, of serving people and helping people, you know, and it's, it's a little cliche, but doing the right thing is always the right thing. So if you just keep working hard and giving and giving and giving and serving, eventually you're going to win. I mean, you got to do it over a long period of time, but it, you know, you will be profitable and you will hit the numbers you want to. I don't think you got to, you know, putting the numbers and, and a date on it to me seems like putting the, the cart before the horse a little bit. And I think that's one of the ways that people can minimize those, those issues, those bigger problems. You're still going to have the problems, but they'll come a little more naturally and they'll flow a little bit. You'll have a little more time to figure them out uh, if you just work on working real hard and serving people. So I want to backtrack a little bit. Going back to, to the book, PT Educator Student Debt Eliminator. So with the book, I know you were saying that you have, you, you have in there the different side hustles that you have implemented. Y'all go get that book. But (laughs) if you could give us two or three side hustles off the top of your head that you think students could start implementing right now, what would they be? Yeah. I mean, I just did a webinar not too long ago on my top three. uh, And I'll give you guys those because I think they're phenomenal. I think anybody can do them, but healthcare professionals especially could, could do them and excel at them. And the first one is writing. I feel like even though I'm an English major and I'm a little bit biased, you can write a blog, a student blog, right? If you were still in school, you could do a student blog on what you're learning, the process of learning, ins and outs of the medical field and medical education, how you can help your friends and family currently. Your blog could be about sports specific, right? It could be a basketball blog and injuries that are, you know, talking about basketball injuries, a training program that you put together on basketball could be whatever, right? If you're really into pediatrics, maybe you just write about pediatrics nonstop, you know? So if you write a blog, there's a lot of ways you can monetize that. But I personally just have a couple of Amazon affiliates and links within my blog, you know, and that brings in a couple, couple of bucks a month, uh, when people click on my my suggestions for a book or a product, you know, that's one of the ways you can monetize a blog. Obviously, you, you can put ads up on the blog and you can have affiliate links uh, within the blog. Those all work as well. But when I say writing, you can also then take your blogging skills and show people what you've done and then offer that service to other businesses that may need a blog. Let's say there's a dermatologist up the street and he's, you know, doesn't have any website presence, doesn't have any SEO, he's not coming up and he's not ranking, he has no digital footprint, you could then offer your services. Hey, look, I run a blog, I do social media, you know, I can do this stuff to help boost your business and get you some SEO, which is search engine optimization. That'll help you rank on Google when people look up dermatology. Am I a dermatologist? No, but I know the healthcare field enough to where if I have questions, I can ask you about what you want the blog to be about. I'll do the best I can. You read it over and then we post it on your blog, on your blog every month, you know, or every week, whatever it may be. And you charge a flat fee for that service. Another avenue of writing, obviously you write a book, right? If you have a specialty or an area that you love, 
and it incorporates your life story into it, there's your book. That's what I did. My first chapter is all about me and my journey and how weird and crazy it was and how I ended up to where I'm at now. And I think it's important that you tell your story. For me, it was super important because I think people need to see that I'm like the smartest dumb kid out there. So if I can do it, anybody can do it, right? I mean, shoot, two doctorates and, and yet I was a straight B student. I mean, I never was up in the A range. So it can be done. You don't have to be a genius to write a book, you know? So again, just another thing you can do with writing. The second one that I recommend is podcasting. And podcasting isn't like super rich, lucrative lifestyle, but there's a lot of ways to monetize it. And we'll come around to the full circle on that. One, you can get a sponsor, right? You can have somebody that aligns well with you for the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Kyle Rice and the MPTE Hustle was our sponsor. It's a good fit because our audience is PT students who are about to take the NPTE or PT professors whose students are about to take the NPTE, you know, or people in academia who are just looking to get that course out to people to help them if they fail the test or whatever it may be, you know, it's just a really good fit for us. So it's a good alignment for a sponsor. We also have an affiliate deal with Anywhere Healthcare, Mark Milligan's telehealth company. And every person that signs up using our code HET, we get a cut of their membership every month. So that's an, a recurring affiliate deal that really worked out well for us. And again, it's a pretty good alignment because we believe in telehealth. We believe in pushing the needle forward. And we really believe in Mark Milligan and what he's doing with his company. So that's been really good for us as well. The third and most important way that podcasting cashes in though, and it's not a direct monetary value, it's the network that you grow by having guests on that maybe would never talk to you in a million years, but because they have a book out or, you know, because they're promoting something, they're just looking for audiences that make sense to talk to about it. And so then once you have them on your podcast, now you can ask them questions that you want to learn from them, you know, so it's almost like getting a free con consulting gig or a free consulting uh, deal with them, just picking their brains, you know, normally they charge 300 to $500 an hour for that information. And here you are getting it for free through the podcast. But the other thing too, is once you're done with the podcast, the mic goes off, the recording stops, you can chat with that person and just ask, Hey, is there anybody you feel like we should have on the podcast or anybody that you know that you might want to introduce us to that, that could be good for the podcast. That would be a good fit. Now you're expanding your network by using their network, you know, and that's when things get really crazy. Because like I said, we've talked to people in the last five years doing the HET podcast that quite frankly, I probably had no business talking to. And yet here we are chatting with them. You know, we're getting interviews left and right. I mean, we had Stefania Bell on not too long ago. She's been a long time hero of mine. And so it's great to talk with her on the podcast, you know, and Kelly Starrett, just really big names in the healthcare industry and Jill Coleman. I mean, there's just so many good guests that we've had that again, nobody would have known about us had we not had the podcast and been able to put that out there and get their message out to our audience. So that's where I feel like podcasting is probably a really good money maker. Not like I said, not directly, but long-term. And then the third one that I recommend is lead generation. I'll just leave it at that. It's pretty simple. Getting new leads, getting new patients in the door for clinics, whether it's the clinic that you work at or you're a student at, or whether it's a random plastic surgeon or a dentist or orthodontist, and they don't have Facebook ads up and running. You can very easily these days go to Facebook, check their Facebook business page and look to see if they're running ads. And if they're not, you offer your services to them to help get them new patients in through Facebook ads. That's it. Plain and simple. And that's lead generation is one of the most lucrative ones that I've had in my last two, three years doing side hustles and side gigs. So those are my big three. That whole webinar, if you want to go into a deeper dive is on the YouTube channel as well. So you guys can check that out.
Wow. I just had to take a second and let all of that <laughs> process because that was some really valuable content that I think a lot of people need to hear because I think what, what tends to happen, at least from me speaking from a student perspective, a student slash entrepreneur's perspective is what tends to happen that I see from others who have an interest to do their own thing is they don't know where to start. Like, I never want to tell them, oh, go, go, you know, go do what I'm, go do what I'm doing because what I'm doing may not be for you. You know, you may not enjoy that. But I think sometimes it also stems from a lack of clarity and motivation. And a lot of the time, I think they think of entrepreneurship as like the golden ticket for them to pay off their loans and have money to do whatever they want. But it's like, you have to have something deeper than that that drives you because that's when you get out there and you start putting things into play. And I was smiling as you were talking because a lot of those things that you said with the podcast, like, yeah, you're right. Me and Paul discussed those things from day one, you know, and we've implemented those things. Even the writing, you know, the lead generation, like I, I love those because those are great. I definitely would say for lead generation, guys, that can be anything like Facebook ads, Google ads, anything that's going to help your your client be able to get themselves in front of a, a, a wider audience. So those were, those were amazing tips right there. Wow. <laughs> so let me ask you, in terms of the, because you mentioned this before, the masterclass that you're having, what's that all about? What what can people expect to, to get out of the masterclass? Yeah, so the masterclass is basically a deeper dive into the eight to 10 side hustles and side gigs that I mentioned in my book. More of like a hand-holding experience where I literally walk through side hustle by side hustle with you. And I talk about how we can work on implementing that in your business, which whatever that may be. And you may not have a business yet. And if not, that's okay too, but we're going to get you up to speed and up and running as quick as we can, because it only takes maybe a month or two to get your LLC up and running and, and figure out what kind of business model you need. But at the end of the day, it's about finding that first client and getting you paid and getting you a paycheck coming in from your side gigs and your side hustles. So I like to layer the side hustles and the side gigs. I, I don't like to do them all at once. Um, and that's mainly because of shiny object, object syndrome. You don't want to bounce around. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. Oh, I could do that. Oh, that looks cool. Oh, they're making a lot of money. Oh, I can do that. You know, you've got to have, you can do multiple different revenues and, and streams of income like I do. I'm totally cool with that. You've just got to set them up in a methodical way in order to, to do that. And the masterclass is really a, it's an eight week long deep dive into, you know, the eight to 10 different side hustles that I, I recommend and how to go about layering them methodically so that you don't lose track. And you don't have to do all eight or 10, right? You can just do one or two and focus on those and be totally cool with that. If you had a nine to five making 80, 90 grand a year, and then you had a side hustle that was making another 50 or 60, well, shoot, that's pretty good. That'll get $150,000 student loan paid off in three years without even touching your salary. So now we're looking pretty good. And then after that, the fourth, fifth, and sixth year, well, now that's profit that you can start playing with and investing and really making your money work for you as opposed to trading time for money. And guys, the top three things that I mentioned, those top three side gigs and side hustles, those can all be done as students. You don't need a license for any of those. Most of the side gigs you don't need a license for. So these could be done now. These don't have to wait till you graduate. You know, this, this is legit ways to come out of school debt free. If I had done this, if I had found mentorship and had these opportunities that are available now, back when I was in school, man, I'd be done with these student loans already. I'd be crushing it. 
you know, but it just wasn't like that back then. So now the opportunity is there. There's plenty of mentors out there. There's plenty of coaches. There's plenty of people who know what they're doing. Find one that you jive with, find one that you like, and just go for it. It'll speed up the process tenfold, I promise, because these people have been through it. You know, we've been there. We've done that. We know what's going to happen. So we can help speed your process up a little bit. I love especially just hearing about the master class because I think a lot of people tend to struggle with like the how, you know, having gone through the process myself, I just hearing about it too, just tells me just how valuable it is. Because I promise you, somebody had held my hand and told me what to do. That would have made a whole year of stress <laughs> be so much more worth it. And I think, you know, I'll wrap up with this question. When it comes to overall, and I'm going to look at this more so from the PT perspective. But when it comes to a PT student establishing themselves in the business world, because again, I do believe that every PT student should at least have some sort of business acumen, not necessarily that they have to be entrepreneurs, but you know, they need to have some sort of understanding of business because you'll get played if you don't. What are the two to three top things for you that you think a PT student needs to come out of school having so that they can establish themselves in the business world? Yeah. So number one is a network. You got to be working on that network from day one. As soon as you, you probably should have been doing it to get into school, to be honest with you. But you know, if you didn't, that's okay. Now's the time. Start networking the hell out of your profession. I mean, you know, talk to people who are doing the things that you want to do, offer yourself uh, whatever skill set you want to work on. Let's say you're a web page editor and you, you know, you work on web pages and you're really good at it. Offer to do a free one for somebody who's, you know, somebody you look up to in the business world who's doing great things. See if they'll, they'll let you do a web page for them or something. Um, let's say you're a podcast editor, right? Go to the top five or six podcasts and ask if you could do some free work for them and, you know, freelance editing or something like that, right? Find ways to what's called dream 100 these people. Dana Derricks wrote a book called Dream 100 List, and it's basically a, a, a list of 100 people that you feel like could really move your business and your profession and your vision forward and try to start working your way up to the top five or so up the ladder, right? So for me, healthcare education is a big one, right? One of the top five people for me is Dr. James Andrews. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He does all the best sports surgeries in the world. We've been trying to get him on the podcast for about three years now. We've been close. We've been close a couple times, uh, but we got shut out two or three times and one, one kind of went weird. He was speaking at the CSM and we we're going to try to just walk up to him and ask him a question or two, just get it on the record. And they, they walked him in, they started the section, they walked him in, then they walked him out and he had like an entourage and a bodyguard. So that didn't work out too well, but we're trying, we still, we, we ask him, you know, every year we try to find ways to, to network and it, you know, we didn't just ask him directly, right? I went to an old professor of mine who was very good friends with Kevin Wilkes, who's Dr. James Andrews PT, like his right hand man. And then I asked Dr. Wilkes if he would do the introduction to, to James Andrews. So it was two or three steps to get up to that top five you know, didn't work out, but that's all right. You know, we're not going to give up. We're going to keep trying. We're going to find other avenues and other ways to do it. So it's, it's about growing your network and building it and, and seeing how you can provide value to those people. And then in return, eventually, sometimes they provide value to you. So it's, it's that, it's almost like a, a living sphere of people and personalities and you just got to try to interact with them and stay positive and like I said, offer value. So the network's number one. You've got to start on your network now. If you haven't already read that book by Dana Derrick's Dream 100 List, like I said, I would read that. And then beyond that, I would say, think about a skill set. You know, really try to diversify your skills outside of physical therapy. 
soft skills come to mind, right? Bedside rapport, right? Your, your ability to have bedside manner with your patient and have those soft skills, right? And recognize your emotional intelligence, your EQ, right? What's going on in the room? You know, read people that are high, people that are low, who's maybe down, what patient might need a little bit of coddling, when to push a patient, when to back off. Soft skills are kind of important and those aren't, A, they're not really taught in school all that much, but B, sometimes they just have to come natural. They can be worked on for sure, but you have to have a personal awareness of how good or bad you are at soft skills and you have to go from there. Uh, I know Zach Gabor and Steph Allen do a good job with that in the Level Up initiative. If you haven't checked them out, definitely do that. They're all about the soft skills and they're trying to spread awareness into soft skills. Once we graduate, hey, we got all this clinical knowledge. How do we do on a soft skill level? You know, that would be another big one because really soft skills at the end of the day just comes down to communication. You know, you got to have good communication skills. So that's the two big ones I would say is build your network and then work the heck out of your communication skills because those are going to lead to sales skills. You know, you'll need some studying on that. You'll have to read some books and take some courses, listen to some podcasts on the art of selling. But you'll see that selling is really just educating. And we all do that all day, every day when we either talk to patients or trying to get them to buy in, right, to a plan of care or something like that, or teachers trying to get students to buy into their way of thinking about a, a topic, right? We're all just educating all day, every day. So when it comes to selling, we're just educating people on making better, more well-informed decisions. Those are the big two, two and a half, I would call it, networking, communication and soft skills, uh, and then being able to, to sell. That was good. <laughs> I got some notes on that one. My last question for you is, for you, what would you say success means to you? What is success? That's a good one, too. I think for me, success really just means never giving up on myself, believing I got this the whole way, putting all uh, my chips on me and just betting that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win in the end and just continuing that lifelong learner style. You know, I, I just really, I think the EDD was really a byproduct of that. And I'd like to say that I did it intentionally, but I, I, I don't think so. I think it was more of a subconscious thing as to why I went for an EDD as opposed to a PhD, maybe in, in physical therapy or biomechanics or something closely related. The EDD allows me to now teach not only physical therapy, but education as well. The whole field of physical therapy crumbles and collapses. I can just go teach general education as well at a college level with a terminal degree in education. So again, it's, it's the optionality of things. It's working hard for a really long time and doing all of these things, diversifying my skill set and always learning, always reading, always finding new things that are going to help push me forward so that it gives me even the opportunity to have these possibilities of jobs and side gigs and side hustles and working for these great people and big names in the business that I do. It, it really is just like a constant desire to push and to learn. And uh, if I can just keep doing that for the next rest of my life, I'll be okay. You know, that'll be success. I love it. Listen, this was great. Thank you so much for, for hopping on. I definitely think there are going to be a lot of SPTs, and, and not even just SPTs, just entrepreneurs and, and students in general, because this doesn't just apply to our field. This is something that, you know, anyone can apply. Anyone who's interested in being an entrepreneur or just feels stuck and doesn't know what's next or what more they can do. So thank you for that. Thank you for all those gems. Definitely got some good notes on my end. I know Paul got some good notes as well. So we, we appreciate that. You know, this podcast, as much as, as it is about empowering, it's about educating as well. And so 
you know, you getting that EDD made you a perfect candidate to come on here and educate, which you, you, you definitely didn't let us down. So much gratitude towards you. Thank you so much for coming on. Before we let you go, please tell us like, if there's any way like someone's listening to this, they want to get in contact with you, they, they want to reach out, what social media handles, what information would you leave for them? Yeah, so pteducator.com is the website. Uh, that's basically the home base of where everything's found. Uh, most of the uh, social media handles are at pteducator. Uh, that's probably the easiest one to find. I have a personal one, but it's all the same stuff. Just a couple of kid pictures and dog pictures mixed in there. But yeah, thank you guys for having me on, man. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. The thoughtfulness of your questions and the time and effort that you guys put into this stuff is great. So I, I really appreciate it. And I, I wish I had the drive and desire that you guys had as a student. I was just trying to keep my head above float. Starting a podcast is not easy and doing all the things that you guys want to do is not easy, but it'll be worth it in the end. So keep up the great work, fellas. Thank you. We appreciate that. All right, guys. Thank you for listening and tuning in. As always, you could have been anywhere else, but you chose to be here with us. So we appreciate it. If you got some value from this episode, subscribe, share, comment. Let us know, you know what you're thinking. As always, we look forward to serving you continuously. We will see you guys next time. Until then, peace and many blessings. Thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Clock. This episode was brought to you by The Accepted System. The Accepted System is a program that helps pre-physical therapy students get into physical therapy school without wasting time or money. This episode was also brought to you by PhysioMemes. PhysioMemes helps PT businesses to increase their referrals through word-of-mouth marketing by growing their brand with an online store. PhysioMemes. This episode was also brought to you by the Acceptance Navigator series. Most pre-PT students go on to spend hundreds of dollars applying to multiple DPT programs, with the majority of them having less than 40% confidence that they will actually get accepted that cycle. You have been taught that regardless of all the work you put into applying, you really don't have much control over your acceptance into PT school. The truth is, you actually do. Let the Acceptance Navigator series show you how. You can find them at www.acceptancenavigator.com. When you go on there, make sure to let them know that Paul and Carl sent you over to jumpstart your acceptance into physical therapy school. Thank you for listening and keep tuning in.